Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with the co-founders of Swedish sneaker brand Axel Arigato, CEO Albin Johansson, and creative director Max Swarg. In November, mid-pandemic, the six-year-old company attracted a $66 million investment from Eurasio Brands. I wanted to ask the founders about the impact on the future of their business, plus how they're differentiating in the crowded sneaker market. Welcome, Albin. Hi. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for being here. And hi, Max. Welcome. Hi. Nice to be here as well. Tell me, I said sneaker brand. You're more than just sneakers, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, we started as a sneaker brand, but uh, today and going forward, we we see ourselves as a brand, you know? Uh, we want to be able to sell anything, no matter if it's a shoe, a piece of clothing, or an object. Yeah. What percentage of your sales are sneakers right now? It's still a big chunk and majority, but we started a sort of journey into transition from being a, a shoe brand, which we actually were from the very beginning, and then we became a sneaker brand. And in 2016, beginning of 17. Uh, we sort of changed the vision into be- becoming a brand and becoming a platform that sort of can can produce, can design, can distribute anything that uh, falls under our, under our, uh, our umbrella. So talk to me about your backgrounds. Uh, where did you meet? It's just the whole founder story uh, in short. Max, you want to take that? Yeah, so I mean, we met initially because we had mutual friends. Uh, Alvin was studying with, with my friends. Um, and in early beginnings in my life, I, uh, I started selling like jeans when I went to school, uh, I sold MP3 players. I sold tons of different stuff, to be honest, uh, on my lunch breaks and after school. And when I went uh, in, when I was like 17, I, I started an online store with my mother, uh, a multi-brand store selling other uh, clothing brands, mainly to the Swedish market. And then a couple of years later, when I was 23, approximately, uh, I started a furniture store uh, online as well, together with my brother. Uh, and that was also a physical store in combination yeah. with online. So that sort of mix uh, has always been interesting. Uh, we discovered after yeah a couple of years that furniture was heavy stuff. So Uh, We sold that company and then I continued with the multi-brand store Uh, and that I had from when I was 17 until we started this brand. Amazing. What about you, Alvin? What was the background? So first of all, you can hear that I'm very privileged to be the first sort of non-family member of Max where he starts a a (laughs) brand or a business with. Um, my background is I've always had an interest in uh, in clothing and uh, and fashion. Uh, I actually still have my first pair of shoes back at home, and I did sort of internships when I was thirteen, fourteen in local shops here in Gothenburg. But then I sort of branched out, and uh, I did a bunch of uh, different things. Started like a water company, uh, played poker, started to study economics. But then in 2011, I came back into fashion, so to say, and starting to work with e-commerce. And that's, as Max mentioned, we, um, we got friends or became friends through mutual friends. 
but that's also where sort of our business careers uh, came across because we had mutual interest and uh, and background in terms of what we worked with. Yeah, a couple of serial entrepreneurs here. You guys are brave. <laughs> um, but what was mi missing from the sneaker market uh, at the time, 2014, um, maybe direct to consumer was just, I don't know, hitting its stride. Uh, what were you seeing, Max? I mean, we didn't really see a brand that was a brand of today, uh, a brand that we truly could identify with. So, uh, we wanted to take sort of everything we knew from the fashion industry and remove that and bring in everything that we thought was missing. Uh, and that was sort of the beginning to how we shaped the brand, basically. Yeah. Did you think that your target customer was going to be, I guess, uh, this sneakerhead or a streetwear fan? Uh, were you going after that, that streetwear uh, customer? Well, I mean, to be honest, in the beginning, we've... Like if you look at us now versus a couple of years back, it, we've done a lot of changing. We've changed everything, to be honest. We changed our communication. We changed our aesthetics. We changed our product assortment. So I would say in the beginning, we were a bit broader. Uh, we had something for everybody, no matter sort of what style you had. And after a couple of years, we wanted to sort of shape the brand a little bit tighter. So it was easier for the customer to sort of understand the brand and also understand what we were trying to say. Yeah, and also I would like to add a thing there that when we uh, sort of founded the idea back in 2013, a year before we we launched uh, the brand and the products, we were still sort of very focused on creating a brand, but the footwear market, that's where we saw the gap in terms of what the brand was offering, uh, both in terms of communication, what they stood for, but also product and maybe more important at that time, price. That it was yes. a huge gap in uh, the price offering between them, maybe lower price sort of sneakers and the luxury sector. And that's where we saw like, this is where we will get in. This is where we will create some hopefully brand awareness and then uh, explore with other categories. Yes. Yeah, you know, none of us could understand like how the... Oh, I can't swear, but how can, uh, you know, how can a shoe cost this much? We couldn't understand that. So we were starting to you know, talk with factories, talk with uh, tanneries and finding all the different components to sort of get an understanding. And then we saw this is actually doable, you know. Uh, so we cut a lot of things back and sort of, you know, did a product for a good price. Uh, so that was sort of one of the pillars when we started the brand. Yeah. Uh, getting the, the brand off the ground, was it the same type of uh, a strategy that, you know, digital brands, digitally native brands uh, kind of go to, which is, you know, the Facebook and the Instagram ads? Was it the same at the time? Um, and digital advertising, was that everything? Yeah, definitely. We did put all our eggs in the same basket, which was Instagram. So we were very fortunate that uh, Instagram had that uh, exponential growth in our first years, uh, 14, 15, 16. Uh, but at that time, it was only driven by organic reach, pretty much. And uh, the channel itself was not uh, explored by the big brands and companies to the same extent as today. So we were, uh, we were able to sort of leverage on uh, influencer or uh, 
uh, on sort of accounts that acted like uh, any old magazine like Vogue, but instead it was just a channel on Instagram posting different kinds of fashion fashion pictures. Yes. So influencers were uh, a part of the strategy then. Are they still now? Yeah, I mean, we still collaborate with influencers that sort of has the same aesthetics and DNA that that we have. Uh, But one thing to add, you know, when we started on Instagram, you didn't really have the big brands, as Abin was saying. So we didn't necessarily need the influencers. We sort of just by being on Instagram were unique, to be honest, because nobody else that sold sneakers were there. Yep. And was it just uh, not just, but pictures of cool shoes? Like, did you message the price? Like you said, that was a big differentiator for you guys. What was the marketing? I guess what were the creatives? What were what was the messaging? We never sort of you know pushed that angle on the price. For us, you know, the brand has always been the most important thing, and the brand has always been the thing that we want to communicate. So we sort of wanted to show you know all of our followers and all of the. Pr- people that liked our brand, what we stood for, both in terms of, you know, aesthetics, but in terms of product, in terms of our whole world. Uh, So price has never been a focus point for us. We sort of want to sell something. And when they receive the box, they, they understand like, oh, shit, this is actually good value for the money. Tell me about your drop of the week, um, Albin. Is that when did that start? And it just seems like it would be, <laughs> I don't know, a strain to pull off um, a headache, is, it was especially during the pandemic, which we'll dig into. But um, how important is that drop of the week in bringing the customer back? We think it's very important from uh, the DNA of the brand, because what it is saying is that it's something uh, or it's always something going on around the brand. And uh, like nowadays during the pandemic, we're not able to host any events anymore. But last year we had 59 events. So that's more than one event per week uh, on average. And then we have the drop of the week as well, which is also more than one drop uh, per year. I would say that we're mo- we maybe have around uh, 90 drops per year. So for us, it's very important because we, we strive for change. We strive for the sort of top of mind thinking and always have a close relationship with our customers and, uh, and followers. And it also helps us to, to be on trend, uh, follow what the market says, because Accelerator is just a product of the community that we work with. Yeah, for sure. Um, is it always a shoe and is it limited edition, that drop of the week? Uh, no and no. Uh, <laughs> it yeah. used to be only shoes, uh, but nowadays when ready to wear start to become a very important category for us, it takes also uh, much more space in our communication. And in terms of limited editions, some are and uh, some are not. We uh, again tend to uh, speak with our customers, follow the trends, and if we see something that is sort of highly demanded, we keep on uh, ordering and. That's what the beauty is with the drop of the week model as well, because we produce almost every week throughout the year and we can place reorders every week throughout the year. And that means that we can keep the inventory levels as a very sort of uh, narrow level, meaning that the, uh, the overstock at end of season remains very low and therefore we don't have any needs for outlets, etc. 
Yeah. What's been your, I guess, attitude regarding, are you are you seeing your styles on resale sites? Um, is that annoying to you? Are they a friend of yours? Uh, what's happening there, Max? Uh, to be honest, we don't want to be a hype brand. Uh, we are not set out to be a hype brand. You know, the day we have a queue 50 meters outside of the door, we need to maintain that queue. And that's quite hard, to be honest. So that's important to point out. So, uh, you know, we haven't, uh, our product is not made for sort of the reselling sites, even though, you know, if you go into eBay or Wister, you can obviously find them. Uh, but that's just a part of how the world works today. And to be honest, I buy shoes from their sites as well. So yeah. I like it. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I love it too. Uh, tell me about your stores. You have six right now. Uh, is that kind of the number that's going to stick for quite some time, Alvin? It's not. We actually last weekend uh, opened up two additional ones in Germany and uh, we have signed one for uh, Dubai that will open in Q121. And we want to uh, continue to open up more uh, locations. We think that once this sort of uh, pandemic is over and this dreadful time, we believe that people are more thirsty of experience than ever before. And Therefore, sort of our retail spaces uh, plays a very important role for us in terms of hosting events, but also meeting our customers and uh, inviting other brands and partners to collaborate with. Yeah, for sure. Max, tell me about this event strategy. It's always in store. Is there a collaborator to bring in a new audience? What goes on there? So from the beginning, we've always sort of built an events uh, team or department in-house because we wanted to control everything we did uh, and we wanted to do exactly, you know, how we wanted to do it in, in terms of, you know, who we are actually, who is performing in the store or how is this event looking, who is coming, etc. So events is for me, I mean, we basically do events because we like events. We want to go to the events. And uh, that's uh, important because otherwise we can't do right events to begin with. Uh, but I mean, for us, the events has played a, an important part to truly show what the brand stands for. And that is in terms of, you know, aesthetics, furniture, art, music, and everything around that. Uh, so uh, both of us and the whole organization loves that part uh, about the brand. For sure. I feel like all my uh, information is outdated now that you have this round of funding. It's like, it's not six stores, it's eight stores. Is it still about a, a small team of 16? Uh, no, we're close to 80 now, including retail though. That's great. Okay, let's just dig into this funding round. Uh, what was your um, fundraising strategy prior to November, prior to this year? Um, how were you funding the business? Uh, well, three years into the business, three and a half almost, we were uh, self-funded uh, together with, of course, uh, banks, etc. But then we brought in a uh, fund uh, from London uh, with some capital injection, which went to additional store openings, uh, expanding of the teams and also product. Uh, and then in the beginning of this year, we had done that three years business plan and uh, which has been fantastic, but um, we want more. Uh, we see that there is a huge potential in the brand and the product we currently uh, are offering, but also 
the coming product that we want to expand into. And for the next uh, next journey, we wanted to have a partner with sort of global knowledge and presence and also been on this journey that we have in front of us with uh, with other brands earlier. Yes. So global expansion is, is maybe the A number one uh, priority from here. Yeah. Well, we have plenty of priorities. Oh, well, give me some. Give me some. <laughs> the highlights. Oh, but stay relevant as a brand. It's uh, We always come back to the brand that uh, if we keep can keep uh, surprising our customers, keep on doing something new, change, drive this sort of uh, top of mind communication and always... Um, uh, do drive innovation from the current categories, but also new categories, then we uh, are pretty confident that the global expansion will come as a result out of that. Yes. What percentage of your, your customers are now based in the U.S.? U.S. is still fairly small for us. I would say in regards of online, it's close to 10%. Yeah, that makes sense. Is that a key market as you expand or are you looking elsewhere? I know you're Europe is a, is a main focus or is where you're focused now? Yeah, definitely for the next 12 years. When we, uh, 12 months. 12 months, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, when, when we started uh, and then we had this uh, huge sort of growth on Instagram, when Instagram still was a 100% organic platform, US was actually our largest market for the first two years. And uh, when we started or when we wanted to open up our first retail space, we were pretty, uh, pretty sort of, uh, uh, how should I say? We, we were determined that we would open up in uh, New York, but then we couldn't find the right space at the right location. Then we started to look into London uh, and then we ended up opening a great, fantastic space in Soho, London. And ever since that, I would say that our focus has been more in uh, Europe rather than in the U.S., and now we feel that we're not as naive as we were a few years ago. U.S. is very much on the priority or highest part of the list in terms of expansion. But we have a lot more that needs to be done in Europe to build a foundation and become more of a sort of a brand on the whole, uh, on the whole European Union map. And then when yeah. we're ready, we will go into the U.S. with uh, local stores, offices and have this know-how internally. Right on. Mentioned Instagram a couple of times. Max, I'm dying to know. I know you guys um, are on TikTok. Uh, how, first of all, what, what's your marketing mix right now? Let's start there. I mean, today we're doing everything from Instagram to sort of the same type of material on Facebook. Um, but then, you know, again, getting back to the events, that is a big part of our business. So during the pandemic or when COVID hit us, we took sort of all the events uh, online. So nice. usually everything we have in the store, uh, we took it to IG Live. So we have had sneaker customization. We have had our artists performing. Uh, we have had uh, the DJs that usually plays in the store have been performing on IG Live. Uh, so we sort of shifted and, and uh, moved our events somewhere else. Then also during this time, we've done a couple of interesting stuff like in Stockholm during the summer, uh, we had a moving uh, music truck. Uh, okay. So it went around in Stockholm during a day with uh, a couple of different DJs and a couple of different artists. And then we had people like chasing the truck and going <laughs> after the truck with cars. 
to sort of being a part of, of, of that because you can't really experience music in the same way today, but we sort of figured out how to do it. Uh, right. Then also in, in April, we, we launched TikTok. Uh, we have, had never been on the platform before. And at that time, we had 800,000 views on TikTok. And now a couple of months later, we have 17 million views on TikTok. Uh, and on TikTok, you know, our strategy is completely different to Instagram. We see it as a show. So we yeah. hired a host. Uh, it was actually one of the models that came here to the office uh, to model. And uh, he was already on TikTok. So we hired him. And together with him, we sort of shaped the communication on TikTok because we believe it needs to be completely different to what we're doing on all other channels. Yes. Then also during you know uh, the pandemic, we wanted to be more authentic and personal. So uh, we started to share more as a company. We wanted to show you know our customers that we are more than just a brand. So we want to show everybody behind the brand. So we've done a couple of different campaigns with the staff, and we have actually one more coming up with with all the ladies in the company that will sort of face be the face of of the new capsule we launched a couple of weeks ago. Um, nice. So we sort of changed how we work in an interesting way. Yeah. I mean, did you just see the importance of establishing a presence on TikTok early on, or is intentionally going after Gen Z? Was was that the the purpose? I think, you know, we want to try everything. Mm -hmm. And no matter if it's TikTok or something else, we want to explore it and see if it works for us and if it fits the brand and if we portray the image that we want to. Yeah. Albin, is there any concern? It's nice to have that creative freedom, um, again, as you team with new uh, investment partners. Uh, was that part of the discussion going in? We want we still want to have the, be able to do what we want to do, um, I mean, to some extent. <laughs> <laughs> that was very important for, uh, for Max and myself that uh, it wasn't... Uh, we were, of course, a big part of the, the process, but we were also in a very fortunate posi position that we didn't have to bring in any new investors. We didn't have to raise any capital. And therefore, what was important for us was that we could still sort of uh, control the brand and we could decide uh, the strategy, uh, the store opening plan, uh, what kind of categories we want to expand into, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and uh, that's maybe what I'm most sort of satisfied with after closing the deal that we're still in the control and we have uh, yeah, veto rights over all these important things that makes the, the authentic authenticity of the brand um, the same. Yes. I feel like you guys are in a happy place, uh, both in terms of uh, your comfort uh, styles and also uh, your sustainability, I guess, um, level of sustainability as everyone's becoming more conscious. Can you talk to me about the um, why why produced in Portugal? What, what, what about Portugal? What's there? Portugal has always been a good... Uh place for us to to work with it's it's still in europe so it makes it much easier uh but also as we were talking about earlier with this whole drop of the week model uh we can we can have a very fast supply chain and they are flexible in terms of how they're working so they always listen to our needs uh yeah. the quantities that we had to produce in the very beginning 
uh, were very small. So we, we've been able to leverage up there. But what's also good with Portugal is the history of producing shoes. It's a big part of the whole GDP. Uh, and therefore, you have all the other elements to support the whole production because shoes is not just one source of material and then one factory to assembling it. You have the soles, you have the leathers, you have the laces, you have the shoe boxes, everything. And it's pretty much in the same community, a, a half an hour uh, from each other. So the closeness yeah. there and how fast you can you can work with each and every partner, that's been very good for us. Yes, I love your uh, on your site. You've got your um, corporate responsibility, uh, your traceability map. Um, it seems very, uh, I guess, transparent is the word of the of the year. Uh, how important is that? And is your customer demanding that, or you're just putting it out there, Max? I mean, today, you know, as exactly as you said, uh, transparency is important, and, and first and foremost. We want to be very upfront where where we are producing our products, where we are sourcing our products. So that's sort of step number one for us to actually show everything we're doing and being very open about it. Yeah. Uh, then we're also looking into you know uh, product innovation and material innovation, and uh, at this moment we're sort of playing around and trying out tons of different substitutes to leather. Yeah. Uh, so something that we've been playing around with quite a lot now is apple leather. It looks and feels like leather, but it's uh, made out of waste from the apple juice industry in the northern of Italy. Uh, we've also uh, sampled quite a lot uh, uh, sneakers with recycled leather. And then right. you have microfiber and PU. So, you know, in, in terms of actual product, uh, we're looking into a lot of different alternatives of, of, you know, what we can do. Yeah. Would you guys say, um, in terms of appealing to the, the streetwear shopper, um, that you're filling, that's a differentiator for you guys. We've done some stories in the past about, uh, streetwear is ignoring sustainability altogether, period. <laughs> um, are you guys seeing that as well? <sighs> Tough question. I think, you know, doesn't really matter what, what, what is going on today, but we need to look at, you know, 10 years in advance. How will the world and society uh, look in, in 10 years? And how will people consume fashion uh, in long term? And I think personally, you know, people will think differently before they buy. And I mean, who would have knew that LA, they banned fur, you know? Right. Nobody could believe that in 10 years back. So, so uh, you know, you need to go after what you believe in. Yeah, and I, I, I think that maybe 10, 15 years ago, a, a brand in our industry or a company, any other industry, they could sort of choose what they wanted to do and their customers had to listen. But uh, the, the power has transitioned into being in the hands of the consumers. And today, the consumers demands a lot, not only in the, in the question of sustainability, but also diversity, inclusion. Uh, maybe design, they are much faster what they want. Uh, and if you then, as a brand creative or owner or whatever it might be, if you don't listen to what your, what your customers want, I think that you're at the beginning of the end. Yeah, and, and I also think like, you know, early days uh, when we started the brand, 
And the general perception in the fashion industry was always the customers don't know what they want. And I personally lived by that for, you know, two, three years. And I've changed completely because the customers are everything. And exactly as Abin was saying, if we're not listening to them, we won't be relevant in two, three, five, ten years. That's just facts. Yes. Is that direct link to your customer, direct to consumer is that the future of fashion? Um, I know that you have linked with a couple of third-party uh, retailers. I'm not sure if you're still there, but um, like Louisa Villaroma, probably butchering the name, um, but any others. What partners make sense? The partners that cares about their brand and their customer, because then they offer something unique, maybe not necessarily in terms of the products and brands that they're offering, but how they treat their customers and what kind of experience they are giving. We, we want to partner up, even though it's a wholesale partner or maybe someone having an event in our store that offers something like that, that they are standing behind and that offers our them visitors or customers later on something unique. And yeah. when it comes to wholesale, we're still big believers in it. It's a, uh, it's a big change going on now, but it's a big change not only for, for sort of multi-brand stores, it's, it's across everywhere. And if you don't redefine yourself and if you don't, sort of throughout the old pattern and introduce new ones, uh, the future doesn't look as bright as the history. Right on. Let's talk about the state of the business. Alvin, I'll ask you this. Um, what, I guess, Eurasia brands saw your growth, they saw your your community. What, I guess, what were they most interested in? What what attracted them to the brand? Hopefully a lot of things. <laughs> <Not probably laughs> one thing. uh, but I think maybe... One thing that stood out was how we tackled the pandemic, uh, what kind of changes we did and how we could leverage uh, the sort of product innovation, the drop of the week, and then uh, foremost, maybe the sales. Uh, in March, we had no clue what was going to, going on. And I think the first two, three months uh, until June, we probably did 20 or 30 different forecasts and we had to rebudget all the time because we almost saw that Armageddon was coming, but right. it turned out to not be so bad. What we have said here internally is that without knowing, we were prepared for what was coming up. We were already very much exposed to, to online and digital uh, one because uh, the majority of our sales comes from our own uh, e-com, but also the partners that we have in terms of wholesale, most of them are also uh, pure online players or have most of their sales uh, from their uh, from their web shop. Yes. Well, you mentioned uh, new projections, new projections. How do you go about planning for 2021? Quite aggressive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're on a good, very good path right now. And we feel that we have the customer with us. We have the wind in the in the backs. So we definitely want to expand here. As already mentioned, we are looking into further uh, retail expansion, but Maybe most important now is that we invest a lot into what the brand is becoming to be in maybe three and five years. And a lot of that is what Max just mentioned, product innovation. We want to expand into more categories, especially within the ready-to-wear, of course, also with shoes. But there we think that we have a good position. Much more can still be done. But we want to drive the design. We want to drive the product development. And the larger we become as a brand, the more we the more we sell, the more budget we also have to do much more fun projects. Uh, we did have a festival in Copenhagen last year, which was a big burden for the organization, but it turned out to be a lot of fun. And we want to 
keep on doing these things that excites the uh, the customers, the people out there, and that maybe sort of makes us different compared to regular maybe sneaker brands or regular clothing brands and how we sort of in, at the end define ourselves. Right on. Max, how, how do you go about marketing for a holiday? Uh, are you guys uh, tackling it in a way I've heard among other brands where you <laughs> don't want to be too, I don't know, holiday and happy or are you, are you even going there? I saw it on your site. You have some great, uh, I guess, promotions or sale, first of all, sales and discounts. Is that part of it? Uh, no, it's not. And second, I'm I'm not a big fan of Christmas, to be honest, <laughs> uh, because I don't like the aesthetics of Christmas. So just now uh, or yesterday, I tried to email the landlord to remove the, the trees that they put outside of our stores, because that's that is not a part of our aesthetics. Yes. So during Christmas, uh, we try to do something different to show that something else is going on in this store, but we would never put up a Christmas tree in our store. We would never use red and green because that is completely against everything I believe in. Isn't uh, that cheesy? <laughs> <laughs> but then obviously we can do a gift guide and you know we can do certain capsules for, for Christmas, but it won't be around Christmas, that's for sure. Yes, historically Q4, has that been... Uh, significantly your your highest sales driving quarter. Uh, yes, in the same uh, in the same yeah. calendar year. However, the upcoming spring is has always been lo- larger as well because uh, we have had this growth uh, since the inception of the brand. Right on. Well, congrats to you. It feels like uh, you guys are in a good place compared to most this year. Uh, congrats on your fundraising, and yeah, great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you as well. Thank you. That's all for this episode, which was produced by Pierre Bienname. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to the Glossy Podcast. See you next week.